0: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 12. For those of you that are just joining us for the first time, that's what we do here is we go through the Bible. And so we find ourselves in uh, Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Uh, We've been going through Matthew for over a year, and this is just where we're at. So what we do is we take the scripture, we read it, and we just... Grab what we can from it and see what the Lord speaks to us. So, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, uh, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So it shall be for this wicked generation. So what's going on in this story is that um, this is an explanation that Jesus is using. Jesus uh, in chapter 12, and I feel like we've been in chapter 12 for a while, but... Jesus is talking to the listeners, Israel, Jewish audience, and he's using this example to say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, I'm the chosen one, and if you guys reject me, there's going to be an evil spirit that's going to come out of you, but uh, if you reject who I am, then seven worse are going to come back uh, upon you. Um, What's going to happen today, it's going to be an interesting sermon, is that We're going to talk about the scripture, but we're going to kind of marry this scripture this morning with learning about uh, Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Today is October 31st and it's Reformation Sunday. How many people knew it was Reformation? Some of you did, right? Uh, Those of you that, uh, how many people know what the Reformation is? Oh, you guys are going to learn a ton this morning. It's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. And so what what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this scripture to illustrate a point about Martin Luther, the Catholic church, and why receiving Christ is paramount to living life on this earth, okay? Um, And and it's really quite simple. If if you want to check out and play on your phone, I'll call you out, but just remember this. (laughs) Jesus is saying in this scripture to to the Jews and Israel and is saying to us, if you do not receive me, your life is going to be worse off than it is. That's just the simplest way that it is. If you reject Christ, your your life is not going to go well. Receive me as Savior, and all will be well. And so what he's doing in this story is he he uses this allegorical example. And 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 back then they they thought of deserts as a place where evil spirits roamed. And so he uses this example. It's just an allegory. And he says a man has a spirit. And then if that spirit comes out of the man, that spirit's going to go out into the desert and it's going to roam around. And and that evil spirit has to have somewhere to rest. And if it can't find anywhere, it's going to come back. But when it comes back, it's going to come back seven times worse than it was when it left. And that man is going to be worse off than he was at the beginning. And and again, the, the cultural and historical context is that Israel rejecting Christ as Messiah, he's saying to them, if you reject me as Messiah, things are not going to go well for you. If, if I leave you, Christ says, the only option is, is that you can find yourself seven times worse than you are. Seven times the amount of demons will overtake you without receiving Christ. And, and he uses this word picture of an empty house. And he says, Israel, you, you can't be an empty house. And that, that word picture is a description of like, we as people, as humans on this earth, we have a body, we possess a spirit and a soul, but there's something that lives inside of us that's not of ourselves. And this house, this body cannot be empty there, there has to be something that's inside of us that's going to rule us. And if it's if it's not Christ, Jesus says, it's going to be an evil spirit. And he says, if you, if you reject Christ in the end, your life is going to be worse off than it would be if you would have just accepted the fact that Jesus is the Christ. Yeah. An empty house has to have something in there. It can't just... It's like, uh, how many of you know what a squatter is? Right? A squatter in real estate. So anybody, <laughs> all the real estate people are like, uh, yeah. And, and if you don't understand what squatting is, squatting is very simply, you have a, a domicile, a, a, an apartment, and a house, and it's not being occupied. And so a squatter comes by and they say, oh, empty house. I'll go live in this house. And then it takes a lot of legal actions to be able to get them out of there. Uh, I read a news story about a gentleman that's been squatting at a house since 1998. 1998 he's been squatting in this house they still care he he owned the house he sold the house to somebody else and then never moved out and has been in legal battles with them since 1998 staying into his house that's brilliant right and some of you guys so, all right let me make an example that all you guys will get because I don't think you're getting it it's like in your garage right you clean out a place in your garage and then your wife comes out and goes empty space right? right? And then she has to come out and she must fill that empty space. Come on, guys, where are you at? Right? It's the truest thing I've ever preached. Honey, why are you shaking your head? I was going to use that. Empty spaces must be filled, right? It's just the nature of empty space. And so Jesus uses that example and says it must be filled with me. 2 Peter 2:21 21 uh, says, for it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. The simple answer is do not reject Christ or things will not turn out well for you. Now, let's talk about the Protestant Reformation. This is what was happening within Christianity uh, during the time that Christians broke off from the Catholic Church. We are a Christian church. We're a Protestant church. We're not a Catholic church. And, and some of you have probably wondered in your own life and said, well, why are we not Catholic? Like, what does it mean to not be Catholic? Some of you know very clearly why, uh, but some of you don't know. And so today you're gonna learn about this. It's gonna encapsulate your faith. You're gonna love it. Because what happened was, is that the Catholic Church was Christianity up until the 1500s. It was. And it was in disrepair. What had happened is the church had become something it was never intended to be doing, or became something it was never supposed to, to be and be doing. The, the, the church quite simply is a place where Christian people gather to be freed from their sins and glorify God because of it. But the Catholic Church wasn't doing that anymore. The Catholic Church uh, had become an empty house. The, the Pope at the time was this uh, guy in the early 1500s, guy named Leo X, Leo X, and so he was the Pope. And if you read up on this guy, history does not regard well this man named Leo X. What happened was is that he was the supreme leader of the Catholic Church at the time. He's called called a Pope. And what this guy was doing is that he was taking all the money from the Catholic church as the Pope and using it for his own projects. He was uh, uh, buying things and doing things that he just wanted to do. Uh, He enlisted other cardinals to collect money for his personal use. Uh, Many people claim that he probably wasn't even a Christian while simultaneously being the leader of Christianity all over the planet. Are we painting a picture here? And what he had ended up doing was beginning to use Christ for his own personal gain. He was quoted as saying this, how very profitable this fable of Christ has been to us through the ages. Literally, the Pope of the Catholic Church in the 1500s said, how very profitable this fable of Christ has been to us through the ages. And and that's what he did. He was, in fact, not a Christian, even though he was leading the global church at the time. He is, he is a man who rejected Christ that found himself seven times worse than he was before. The, the simple offer of salvation, the simple offer of following Christ, and, and it wasn't enough for him, he turned it into something else, didn't believe, and those demons came back upon him and turned the church into something seven times worse than it ever could have been. Now this is, this is a, a historical example of a man, a, a man without Christ, all of the outward appearances of all the right things, yet internally, utterly and completely wicked. He had the right clothes, he had the right position, he had the right influence, but he, wasn't, he was not a follower of Christ, he was not doing good things for the gospel. And so because of his refusal to accept the simple offer of salvation, he was an empty house that an evil spirit moved into. it's like, and and many of us have these stories of people that claim to be Christians that aren't Christians. And people use it as an example of why they don't want to be a Christian and why they don't want to go to churches because they say, well, these people did these bad things in the name of Christ. And these people said these bad things. And I've been hurt by these people. Friend, there's a ton of people that live in America that say that they're Christian that aren't. They're just not. And, and using the Pope as an example, like it's possible to be at a high level of influence and not be a Christian. It's possible to to have a spirit that's not of Christ and still be in a position of influence. Rejection of Christ and reception of evil because the house is found empty. Now, here's the truth. There is not a no option option when it comes to the empty house. You, you can't, like, either you're filled with Christ or you're filled with something holy else, but you can't say, I don't want to be filled with anything. Now, any of you parents that have had children, you know what it's like when you send your kid over to somebody else's house and they come back with a new spirit? Have you seen this happen? Yeah. And you've got to explain to them and remind them, you are not, I don't know what happened to you at that house, but you will not talk to me that way. Yeah. Now I don't mean any disrespect that if this is your name, but there was a kid in our neighborhood named Stanley, and they called him Stinky Stanley. And uh, it's just, hey man, we weren't saved. Like, but they called him Stinky Stanley. That's what they did. And Stinky Stanley would come around, and whenever we started being bad, like my mom would always be like, "Why are you acting like Stinky Stanley? You ain't Stinky Stanley." And she used to do this thing to me. I've told you guys this story before, but we had a house that had a front door and a back door, and so my mom would do this beautiful thing. She would always take me and then she'd take me to the front door, and she'd be like, Matthew, uh, she goes, she'd look at me, and she goes, I don't know what you did with Matthew, but Matthew's not here, and she'd open up the front door, and she'd put me out of the front porch, she goes, bye-bye, I'll wait for my son to come back, and then she'd shut the door, <laughs> and I'd sit on the front porch, like, what is this, and at a young age, I figured it out, man, oh, okay, okay, I'd go around and walk in the back door, and I'd walk in, and my mom would go, Matthew, you're home. (laughs) Oh, there was this boy here impersonating you, pretending that he was you. I knew that wasn't you. (laughs) So glad that you're home. Today, October 31st, is the 504th anniversary of Martin Luther's Day of Reformation, Martin Luther, this is where we get Lutherans. This is where we get Lutheranism. Martin Luther, this dude, he was a real guy 504 years ago. This monk, and what he did is he had these 95 problems, they called them theses, that he nailed to the door of a Catholic church in Germany, and he created the Protestant movement that we're in today. Protestant, protest. We protested. We're Protestants. We continue to protest. That's who we are. We're Protestants. Protestants. And it all started because this monk nailed these things to the door of the Catholic Church and said, I got a problem with you guys. Now, you may not understand this, but the church door in that day was like a Facebook wall. You wrote something on there and invited people to debate with you. And so this was his way of nailing it on the door and be like, come at me, bro. What you got? Give me your angry emojis. Like, that's what he was doing, right? (laughs) Now, how many of you have heard of a guy named Gutenberg before? Yeah, Gutenberg, he created the printing press and he had the Gutenberg Bible. And so as, as God's providence would have it at the same time that Martin Luther did this was the same time that the printing press was able to do the thing. And so Gutenberg's like, bet, let's do it. So he started to print all these theses and started handing them out all over Germany and Europe. And it just created this huge reforming of Christianity, the reformation. It reformed the way that people thought and the way that people lived and the way that people understood God and the way that they worshiped. The rest is history. Now let me tell you a little bit about Luther. So Martin Luther's parents wanted him to be a lawyer, but while he was in law school, he was almost struck by lightning. And and so while he's in law school, he almost gets struck by lightning and, and he thought to himself, man, maybe I'm not supposed to be a lawyer. And, and so he decided after he almost got killed by lightning that he was uh, going to stop being a lawyer because he felt like God was judging him. I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but that was his lived experience. And so that's what he thought. And so Two weeks later, he dropped out and he became a monk. Uh, And if you don't know what a monk is, a monk is is somebody that goes into a monastery and he's solely focused on the things of God. That's all they do. And they've, you know, some of them got funny haircuts and whatever. But years later, this this is how Martin Luther described his experience as a monk. He said this, I myself was a monk for 20 years. I tortured myself with praying, fasting, keeping vigils and freezing. The cold alone was enough to kill me. And I inflicted upon myself such a pain as I would never inflict again, even if I could. And he said this, if a monk ever got to heaven by monkery, then I should have made it. But, but here's what he found. What, what Martin Luther found is that what he was doing outwardly wasn't changing anything inwardly. What he found was, is that he was overcome with guilt and shame in his life, and he did all these external things, hoping that, that it would relieve this guilt that he had on the inside, that he could be free from this guilt, and, and he couldn't do anything to shake this guilt at all, and so he goes, and he goes to one of his uh, mentors, and says, oh, I'm guilty, and I've done all this stuff, and I don't know how to feel better, and so his mentor goes, well, go to Rome, go to Rome, that's where the church is, it's where the Vatican is, and, and, and you're going to feel better after you do that, so then he travels to Rome, and he goes to to Rome. And he looks and he goes, man, these people, Rome is in disrepair, man. There's all manner of sin going on in Rome It's where the center of the church is supposed to be. The whole entire city's in disrepair. And so he's like, what are these guys doing? There's are this horrible, sinful place. So he went because he felt guilty to find relief and he found the city full of sin. So then he goes back and he learns to teach at a university. But here's, here's what forever wrecked Martin Luther. Martin Luther always asked this question, how can I be righteous before God? Now, if you don't understand what righteous means, righteous means right relationship. That's what righteous means. And so Martin Luther says, how can I be in a right relationship with God? I know that he created me. I know that he desires relationship with me. I'm doing all these things, hoping that they're going to make me feel better, but they're not making me feel better. How can I live righteously before God? Now, if you believe in God and you ask most people, say, hey man, do you believe in God? Most people are like, yeah, of course I know him. And, and so if you've got half a brain, you're probably thinking, well, if God is real and I know that God is real, I've got to be able to know how to honor him. You, you want to get it right. And, and many of us have wrestled with this in our own life and asked, well then, how should I live? Like what what am I supposed to do how am, how am I if God is real and He desires relationship with me, what do I need to do to live a life with Him that 's a life that He wants me to lead? And so during that time, what the Catholic Church prescribed was that the Catholic Church said, well, confess your sins to a priest, and that'll take away your guilt, or pay penance. You can actually pay money, or or do acts of service, or say these Hail Marys, or our fathers, and then the guilt would go away, but it, it just wasn't working. It, it wasn't working at all. And so what Martin Luther did, and again, this this, for us that have, sitting, have sat even under the smallest amount of Christian teaching, this is like, come on, dude, this is like basic stuff. But 500 years ago, this was transformational. 500 years ago, these were things that nobody was talking about and nobody was doing. And so what Martin figured out was there was a huge difference between what the Catholic Church taught and what the Bible said. He, he he went to the to the Bible and he was amazed at what he found because back then and you didn't know you may not know this but the Bible was written in Latin and the Bible was controlled by popes and you commoners and normies weren't allowed to read the Bible on your own. Now this is where we find many of us. How do we honor God? I, I, I want to go to heaven, and and so without the Bible or without the church, here's what happened and, you, and you've seen this happening today in America as well, is that people will grab onto anything that appears to be righteous or virtuous to feel good about themselves, let other people feel as though they're good, and create a a, a thing in their mind that thinks that, well, I must be pleasing God because I'm doing these external things that make me look righteous. Around America, people agree with things that come across the TV because they want to feel righteous. And they will agree to and celebrate some of the most nonsensical nonsense that you've ever seen. They will agree with things that seem virtuous in the public eye because they long to be right. Re- regardless if it's biologically, scientifically, socially, or legally Correct. That like that that has no bearing on it. It's like everybody else is doing this, everybody else says it's right. I'm gonna do it because I wanna be right and I wanna I wanna I wanna honor a God that I don't know, I wanna do the right thing. No one wants to stand up for something that seems unrighteous. No one wants to stand in the room and be like, hey, everybody else says this, but I say this and everybody looks at you like, dude, you're wrong and we're gonna kill you. No one wants to do that, right? Now, what Martin Luther figured out, and and again, this is groundbreaking 500 years ago, in his study of Romans 1.17, Romans 1.17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The, the, The biggest change that Martin Luther did was he brought forth this idea that we are not made right before God by what we do. We're made right before God by what we believe, yeah, not made right by what we do externally, but by what we believe internally. Because previously what made people right before God was what you did for the Pope and what you did for the church and how much money that you paid. Like those are the things that made people right before God in their minds. But Martin comes along and says, no. No. And what happened in Martin's life at this time is the guilt came out of him in such a way where this burden was lifted from his shoulders where he he said, oh, oh, there's nothing I have to do. It's just what I believe. I'm going to live by faith and believe that, that, that God can do it in me. Uh, Previously, he had never felt this kind of relief. His past sins were forgiven and he was released from these things. And it was because of this transformation that he wrote out these 95 theses and he nailed them to the door of the church and said, you guys are treating people wrong. This isn't what people should believe and nobody's being freed because of the way that you guys are running business. Much changed. Now, some of these things you you, you take for granted, but what changed is the Pope no longer forgave people, Jesus forgave people. What? Yeah, and some of you are like, yeah, dude, of course. But 504 years ago, it was a big deal. Church tradition didn't dictate doctrine. The Bible did. Amen. So, Some of you, probably most everybody in America has some Bible. If not, you can get it on the app in the next 30 seconds. But to think that like a, a group of men in a room would decide what, what we're going to believe versus what the Bible says is transformational christian uh worship services no longer included mass but included a sermon that, that, that's a that's a protestant thing no no more unbiblical doctrine of purgatory and if and if you don't understand what purgatory is purgatory is this and it's an unbiblical doctrine it's it's a it's a place where they the catholics believe there's an in between heaven and hell and one of uh um uh, one of the Pope's guys during this time, he went around teaching people to, to pay money to get people out of purgatory. Right. To say like, oh, well, give us money, and then you can deliver your family members uh, outside of purgatory so they don't have to go to hell. I mean, and, and he had a saying where he would say, uh, every time uh, a coin rings, someone in pur- purgatory springs or something like that. And and it was just godless, right? And so we don't believe in that anymore because of the Reformation. It brought around congregational singing. I'm not sure. Did you notice worship today? It was it was a little bit fiery. It was a little bit loud. Before 500 years ago, you weren't even allowed to sing in church, and people take it for granted. They say, oh, well, you know, it's fine. I don't need to sing. No big deal. I'm like, dude, there's 500 years of church history that's banging on the door of your heart, saying like, come on, man, do you not realize what changed when you're now able to sing in church? It translated the Bible into the language of the people. It took it out of Latin and said, man, you're going to be able to have this Bible. It's like Jan Hus, right? Jan Hus, was before Martin Luther. He translated the Bible into Czech, got people to start singing. They burned him at the stake because they didn't want people singing in church. It, it introduced the priesthood of all believers. What that means is that I, that I am no better than you. I'm your pastor, but the priesthood belongs to all of us. We we all are are, are priests and kings before Jesus. It only gave us two sacraments, baptism and communion. And, bless God, because the Reformation, church leaders can marry. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. It's the greatest gift. Lucky you, baby. It's good. So, from, from uh, from the Protestant Reformation protested, reformed. We get these five solas, okay? I'm going to teach you something today. This is going to help you. Now, for some of you, you're going to be like, duh, dude, I already knew this. Some of you guys going to be like, this is awesome, but roll with me. We'll get there together, okay? Because what these five solas are going to do is they're going to help you understand why we are Protestants and where we're not Catholic. Why we're talking about it today on the 504th year anniversary on October 31st. Why it means that we can serve God in a certain way. Now, many of these you know, you may not know them by name, but they were revolutionary 504 years ago. First one is this, is Sola Scriptura. Now, what does that that mean? Sola Scriptura means that Scripture alone is our source of truth. It's very simple, right? I mean, I've been telling you guys this for 18 years. You're like, yeah, dude, you tell us that every week, but it's got a name, sola scriptura. It means that only the Bible is the source of our truth, not our experiences, not our feelings, not our thoughts, not what we think it should be or whatever reasoning we can come up with why we want to go against what the Bible says. No, Martin Luther stood before the Catholic church and he said, only the Bible should dis- to, to, uh, should direct us. Only the Bible should lead us in what we believe. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed. 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy came abide by the will of God, but men spoke as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. John 17.17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is truth, sanctify them by your truth. We, we at the center of what we believe as Protestants, as Christians, as followers of Christ, use the Holy Bible as our sole source of belief. This is why I reject modern day adjustments to what the Bible teaches. If somebody outside says, well, the Bible teaches this and it's antiquated, we shouldn't do that anymore. I say, no, the Bible doesn't change. The world changes. We've been this way for hundreds of years, thousands of years. We're not going to adjust what we believe based on what the world does. We're going to reject that and stick to what the Bible says. Our only source of truth can be found in the Bible. This is why I will reject any notion, idea, process, plan, ethos, standard that isn't in the Bible. None of it. The Bible trumps everything, every law, the U.S. Constitution, all of it. It doesn't, they, you can get a bunch of knuckleheads in a room to agree on something and make it a law, but it does not make it biblical. I'm only going to use the Bible to guide my life. Now, this isn't to say that we don't read other books on other subjects. The Bible can teach us everything that we need to know. But it doesn't teach me a lot about my new chicken coop, you know? (laughs) I got a new chicken coop. It's been around. Y'all been banging on me on Facebook. For some reason, y'all think I've become some sort of chicken farmer. (laughs) Not a chicken farmer, man. It's just like a midlife crisis, okay? (laughs) That's why I got the hair and, you know daughter's gone. I've been eating pineapple pizza. I mean, it's just, I don't even know who I am anymore. You know, this isn't a recipe book, but it teaches us about God and worship and families and relationships and leadership. All those things are found in the Bible, but you're not going to learn about, you know, maintenance of your car, things from the Bible. But when it comes to knowing God and what He wants from me and how He wants me to live and what to believe, the Bible is the truth. And so we will always adjust what we believe to what the Bible says. We do not adjust the Bible. And and it seems basic today, but 500 years ago, that was transformational. Secondly, sola fide. Sola fide means faith alone. Now, this means that salvation, being saved from your sins, having a relationship with God, being in that right relationship with God is received by faith alone. And that, that is the idea of just believe, man. Just believe that Christ died for your sins. Just believe that you can be saved. Believe that you want to live for him. Faith alone. It's very, very simple. But again, the Catholic church at the time wanted to, people to give money for salvation, The quote is here. I got ahead of myself. Johann Tetzel, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. The Reformation rejects this holy. That's why, like even today, if you saw we took up our tithes and offerings, we've said it every single Sunday for the last 18 years. God does not need or want your money. It's not what it's about, man. If you think some wrinkled wad of sweaty bills is going to get you into heaven you are going to be sorely surprised when you die. It does not work that way at all, not in the slightest. God is not impressed with how much you give. God does not count how much you give. He's, he's looking for a heart change, and your salvation is only possible through what you believe, not what you do. Have you guys seen that movie, Titanic? I started to ruin it. The boat sinks. And so in, that, in, the, in the movie... There's this part in the movie where this guy who had a lot of money, as the boat is sinking, he's on the deck and he's trying to hand this guy a wad of cash and saying like, get me on the boat, get me on these, uh, on these uh, boats that'll save us. And the guy swats the money and he said, your money's not going to save you any more than it's going to save me, man. Not at all. And that's really how it is when it comes to our relationship with God, how much effort and how much money. It's not based on how good you can be what ser- doesn't matter you can mow a million lawns and still not make it to heaven this is why we cannot save ourselves Catholicism has penance. They have Hail Marys and our fathers, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Catholic Church was so upset with this Reformation by Martin Luther that the Council of Trent, they got together in the 1500s, and they actually voted and said, let's make it clear that people cannot be saved by their faith. And they wrote it down, they voted on it, and made it clear because they did not want people to believe that they can be saved by faith alone. Salvation is 100% God. We just respond to it, but it's Him. Now, here's the other side of the uh, here's the other side of the uh, the other side of the coin is sola gratia. Now, sola gratia is the other side of sola fide, and what that means is that grace alone is what makes salvation possible. Now, if you don't understand what grace means, grace means that uh, if if you've done nothing to deserve what I'm giving you. I'm giving it to you because of who I am. I'm not giving it to you because of who you are. Does that make sense? So uh, what God did is God looked down at us and said, man, these people, what are they doing? He didn't see anything good in us, something that we were worth saving. He just said, you know what, man, because of who I am, because I'm so good, I'm going to save these people. And it's only through his goodness. And again, Jesus did this not because of what we did or because of what who or who we were. It was because of who he is. Let me, let me show you a couple of scriptures. John 3, 18 and 19 says this. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. There it is, sola fide. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. And and that's really what sola gratia does is it gives this idea of like, dude, I am not any better than you. I I, I just the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equally worthless, and so we can have an understanding of like it's because of who God is and what He does, and it's not our own uh, uh, ability to be able to do, you know, us be able to do it in ourselves. Grace means undeserved favor. It means God only owns us judgment based on our sins. It's, it's why we revere God so much. For those of you that were here in the worship part, like the reason why we sing so loud is because we're just so thankful. So, oh, it's the least I can do is sing praises to just thank him for what he's done, what he's given me. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, this is what it says. It says, as it's coming up, in this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, meaning payment for our sins. That's what that means, Amen. So here's the uh, fourth solo is, uh, or sola is sola Christo. And what does that mean? Solo Cristo means through Christ alone. It's like that song we sang today, Christ alone. It was like the, it's almost like the worship team knew what I was preaching today. Y'all don't even know, but God set it up. Amen. Catholics had made the priests, the uh, intercessor between God and man. That's, that's what they had done. But what, the Reformation did is it showed Jesus as our High Priest and and again it seems so odd but would you would you understand for a moment like, like if you were in this room and you wanted to connect towards God and I said you go through me if you don't go through me you ain't getting towards God you'd be like huh but what what it did is it just effectively removed the Pope from the whole entire thing and said no you can have direct access to God. Through Jesus Christ. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. Jesus has now become your high priest. Jesus is the one that you should go to. And this is why Jesus is the one who gives us access to God, not a spiritual leader. And again, I'll make it clear. I'm your pastor, but I am, I am not any better than you. I'm not any higher than you. And I'm not the barrier between you getting to God. You have direct access to the father through Jesus Christ, not through another person. Personal faith in uh, God, uh, personal faith in Jesus reconciles us to God. John fourteen six. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, uh, Romans three twenty four. Let me show you this scripture. Uh, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean? That means that the gospel is not prosperity. What is that? It doesn't mean the gospel is not how rich you can get. The gospel is not. The gospel is not God has a plan for your life either. It's not. The, the the gospel is not you can have a better family or you can feel better or you can have happiness or you know you can find meaning. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is very simply God saw you and wanted to save you from your sins Amen. through Jesus Christ. And so this is the fifth sola is solo de gloria. And what that means is it's all to God's glory. The the truth is, is that for us, giving God glory is the goal of our, all of our lives. It's, it's what we are uh, overcome with. It's, it's not to please church leaders and, and to follow rules or to serve ourselves or get a great job or an education or a family. Our goal is to give God glory. The story is very simple. God created us. We turned on him. And so he sent Jesus to forgive us so that we could be back in relationship with him. And now we get to give him all the glory. First Corinthians chapter 10 uh, verse 31 says this. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All of it. That means, you know, if you're eating burritos, do it to the glory of God or (laughs) eating, you know, eating donuts or mowing your lawn or going on a trip. It's like, man, how can we give God glory in the midst of this? He saved me. I believe in him. He set me free. So now I've got to live my life in such a way of like, I think this is going to give God glory. And if it's not going to give God glory, I'm not going to do it. Amen. So what does it mean to you? That was the intro. Let's get into the sermon. All right. Let's get back to our scripture. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. Every person must make a decision on what spirit they're going to let into their life. And and Jesus in the scripture says to the nation of Israel, so it will be with this wicked generation. If you reject me, seven times worse is going to come upon you. Now, when you reject Christ, something is going to fill that void, something. And when it does, it's going to be seven times worse. Martin Luther was smart enough and God used him enough to bring us back to God on those solas, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, to God's glory alone. Like he brought us back to those. And so we have a a decision to make and say, well, am I going to ingest these or I'm going to reject these? And if I reject these, the Bible says seven times worse than it was before. Let me put it to you this way. Is it far-fetched to say that America is different than it was 30 years ago? Is it, is it hyperbolic for me to say that America's become more godless than it's ever been? That we're living in a time that, that now there are things that are socially acceptable that like even just 10 or 15 years ago, people would be like, huh? What are you talking about? That we, we, the, the whole sexual immorality thing is jettisoned. That's gone. Like that thing's settled. They're, they're going to do what they're going to do. But even now, like... There's literally laws that are passed that are promoting thievery. Do you know this? Like in Seattle, like today, after church, you can go up there and you can steal up to $750 worth of stuff from any store that you want. And if they grab you, you just say, I needed it. And then it's a misdemeanor. They're they're passing laws saying it's okay to steal, which is complete like, 15 years ago, if I say, hey, man, they're going to pass laws that make it okay to steal. You're like, no, dude, you've lost it. Violence, violence is now commonplace as well. They've changed the laws for that as far as, you know, uh, uh, probable cause versus regional suspicion and all those other things. And it encourages violence. It allows people to be able to perform violent acts without being caught or having to deal with it. Lying and idolatry is commonplace. Friends, I don't have time to get into it, but you have been lied to. You have been so unbelievably lied to and be like, oh, we all passed a law and got together in a room and we're making profit out of it. So it's got to be true now. No. This wicked generation is receiving its reward. They've rejected Christ. You know, no prayer in school and no Jesus, no nothing. They didn't want Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, something has to fill the void. You can't have an empty house. And so whatever's going to come back is going to be seven times worse than it was before because you chose to reject Christ. 504 years later we're here on october 31st celebrating that martin luther brought a reforming of the church and really the world that had lost sight of what it meant to be right with god and 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 what we need today is a reformation in our own hearts intrinsically we know that what the world offers is not going to make us right with god it's not how we vote it's not what vaccine we get. It's not what education you have or how much money you have or the houses, the cars, the jobs, or how much influence you have on social media. None of that removes the guilt and shame of sin. 504 years later, it's still as true today as it was for Martin Luther. And so we must ask ourselves, what spirit are we going to receive? Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him, Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, which you've heard now, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's what Christ, uh, Christ promises. He says, you know what, if you, if you would reject those evil spirits and receive me as Savior, I will come in, I will, I, my spirit will come inside of you, and you will no longer have to live in this wicked generation and be uh, attacked in a way that you never thought possible. That seal of promise protects us from evil. It keeps us in the faith. It forgives us from our sin. Friend, that same guilt that haunted Martin Luther, that, that, that he could not escape until he found this truth, can be repelled today in your heart if you would receive the forgiveness of Christ, that you would turn away from your sins and turn towards him in faith. The scripture says the last state of a man is worse than a first. They rejected Christ, and that's the truth. But rejecting Christ is to receive the spirit of the world because the empty house must have something inside of it. And so the choice is ours. Which spirit will we receive? Either the spirit of Christ or the spirit of the world? And if not, it'll come back seven times worse. Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we'd like to invite you to become one. And if you've never made that decision before, we always end all of our services this way. It's really quite simple, man. Either you have received Christ or you haven't. If you've never made that decision before, you say, you know what, Pastor? I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to live for Jesus. I want to give him glory. You've never made that decision before, and you'd say, you know what? Today's the day. I'm done playing around. I'm done going the way of the world. I'm going to make a decision today. If you've never made that decision before and you'd like to do it for the first time, we'd like to pray with you. We just ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'd like to become a Christian today. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the very first time? Handheld high. Maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you've, uh, you know, you're like, dude, I've heard this story and, and I used to live as a Christian, but I, man, I have lost my way. I don't know what happened. But you find yourself here today and you'd say, you know what, pastor, I, uh, I want to, want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm done walking with the world and I'm done living in the twilight zone I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, we're going to pray with you as well. You can just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. Is there anybody that needs to make that declaration today? Handheld high. Now for the rest of us, man, just search your heart, man. Maybe, I, I never know what parts of the sermon spoke to you. Maybe there was something where you're like, man, I've been leaning on my own effort. Or I've been trusting something that I need not trust. Or, uh, I have I, I've just, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm going to readjust my heart today. Lord, I'm going to trust in you alone. I'm not going to trust in myself. Anymore. I'm not going to think these thoughts that I need not think. Let's pray. Father God, we love you today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy upon our lives. God, we thank you, not in some saintly kind of way. God, I'm just saying thanks for Martin Luther, God. Thanks for what what you had him do and that we finally are back to where I believe that you want us to be, which is in your word and in your grace. Father, we pray that um, we'll never forget it. It will be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch.